0: Yeah, and just watch everybody like collapse. Like yeah. Pretend nothing's happening. Like, I it just like... snuck it in. It's my mom. Oh. <laughs> you guys ready? yeah All right. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, we are rolling into another episode of the Candace Owens Show. And man, it is tough out there for a black conservative like myself. I'm out here trying to Fix issues, ladies and gentlemen. I want to talk about issues. I want to fix them. I'm not into the blame game. And there are so many issues um, that are touching Black America. And one that's really sort of been in the forefront of the news cycle these days um, is the prison system. Obviously, we know um, with prison reform going on and the debate going on between the left and the right, um, what's true, what's false. Here to discuss all things urban reform with me is Charles Blaine. He is the founder and director of Urban Reform Charles. Welcome to the Cannis Homan Show.
1: Well, thank you for having me. I'm excited. I've watched a number of episodes, so I'm really excited to be here and to chat with you about some urban issues.
0: Anybody call you Chuck?
1: Yeah, unfortunately, they do. They, they do. call me Chuck. They call me Charlie, Chaz, a yeah. little bit of it all. People so I just think they can like, just
0: give you a nickname yeah. sometimes. I mean, I don't fight back,
1: so yeah. I think that's probably why they just yeah. run people with it. People call me so. Candy,
0: and I'm like, no, <laughs>
1: Candy, Candace is Maybe in like another 40, 50 years, 60 years.
0: Right. So like, <laughs> um. So I'm, I'm actually so thrilled to talk to you today because I was recently um, talking a lot about the prison system in particular because I have sort of been screaming to people that <clears> there are some <throat> things that go on that are that are causing larger issues in society that people are not aware of. And one such thing has been the the very bizarre um, string of uh, Jewish people being attacked mm. um, in inner cities. Yeah, and yeah. it seems so bizarre because traditionally, all, all throughout the past, Black Americans and Jewish Americans have sort of had this close relationship, yeah. like we've been through stuff and we're together. So this is just so absolutely unusual. When I remarked to someone, as I said, um, you do know that you know 80% of all conversions in take, that take place in prison, um, are people are being converted to Islam. And someone was really shocked about that when when I said that. And I remember when I lived in Philadelphia and um, I was shocked to see so many black Americans um, wearing hijabs. Mm. And I say, because, you know, typically black Americans are Christian, right? Right. Yeah. Um, And uh, I remember speaking to the the driver about that and he had a a driver, an Uber driver that I had. I sound Mm. fancy, it was an Uber (laughs) driver. And I said, what's going on in the city? You know, why are so many black people wearing hijabs? Um, And he said to me, Oh, uh, when you go to prison, which was nearby from where I live in Philadelphia, um, a lot of people are converted and they come out because of this brotherhood and they get mm-hmm. protection in the prison system. Yeah. And I was really, really fascinated by that. So let's start there because you do work trying to bring Christianity into the prisons. Yeah,
1: so I think you hit the nail on the head with the brotherhood um, word. I think that is what it is. You know, when I so the organization I volunteer with and I serve on the Houston Advisory Board of is called Prison Entrepreneurship Program. It's an amazing program in Texas. We teach these guys because we we focus strictly on the male population of folks who are nearing release, one to three years pre-release. And so we have guys who have done all sorts of crimes. The only thing that we exclude is sexual offenders. Okay, and so. Um, You talk to them and a lot of them will tell you that the reason that they've gotten in there, whether this is their first time or their 15th time coming back, is because they were in search of a brotherhood and that brotherhood or that family led them down the wrong path. And they get into prison and then they continue to search for that brotherhood and a lot of times it will lead them to Islam. And so the organization that we do, it's not a Christian organization, but it is rooted in Christian values. I mean, we try to instill that in those guys because you're right. They go into these prisons and these general population prisons and— they are easily converted to Islam. I mean, it happens left and right in a lot of prisons. And you go walk in the streets of Newark, New Jersey, New York, you see these guys out there, like you said, they're either you know preaching uh, Islam and trying to convert people on the streets, or they're just talking about their convert, their personal conversion. So you see it, and they bring it back to their communities a lot of times.
0: Right. And I actually <clears> said to the Uber <throat> driver because I was so fascinated. I said, you know, so he because he had converted back. So yeah. he had he spent some time in prison, um, and he converted to Islam, and then he converted back to Christianity. And I said, what you know, what was the impetus behind that? And he said, well, you know, when I got into prison, um, there's fear. I didn't know anybody, and and these people came to me and offered me. protection protection Protection, and so I converted, and I was suddenly protected, and I was a part of a brotherhood. Um, And then when I left, you know, I felt like I owed them something. Um, Then I woke up one day and I realized I don't really know anything about this religion, (laughs) and I converted back to Christianity. And I think that's interesting because um, what I don't like about that, and by the way, I think people can be whatever religion they want to be as long as they are not, you know, in the business of hurting other people. What I don't like about that is the idea of taking someone when they're vulnerable.
1: They're most vulnerable.
0: Most vulnerable. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and. Offering them protection in exchange to loyalty um, about, you know, with things that they don't necessarily understand they're becoming loyal to. I think that's what becomes so cumbersome and so and so bothersome. And for that rate to be 80 percent of all conversions. How? What is the structure like? How is that plausible? What happens in prison that 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 becomes even possible in yeah. this country?
1: Well, again, I think you hit the nail on the head with the vulnerable with vulnerability. They go in there; they're broken. They are alone. You are removed from everyone you've ever known, and now you are trying to find some sort of pathway inside there to survive, mm. and you're looking for some sort of meaning. A lot of them get in there, and you get alone, and you just kind of you, you're alone with yourself, and you start to try to find some sort of deeper meaning in life, and a lot of times because there are people who are surrounding them and they see this just, I I don't want to say it's, I mean, it's not a gang, but you see a group of guys who are kind of rejoicing in this brotherhood and you see how exciting it is while you're sitting on the outside looking in, you can't help but to get pulled in a lot of times. And I think when you get out, the problem is, is that, like we said before, you know, they bring that back to their communities. You, ha- They have young brothers, sisters, children, aunts, uncles, whomever who look up to them. I talked to a lot of these guys and they say that, you know, their cousins or their young um, children will call them and say, I want to be just like you when I grew up. Mm-hmm. And they're like, no, I don't know. You don't want to be just like me. You want to do better than I do but they go back to their communities with these people who are looking up to them and then it spreads and then they start to see this too and they start to pull it in and so it's nice like when your Uber driver said that he got pulled back into Christianity it's nice to see that when they get back a lot of times or you hope that when they get back into their environment with their family who does not preach or say those same things they can get pulled back but I think it's that vulnerability that pulls them in
0: so, how did you get involved in in the prison system? Like, what made you say, yep. you know, what I want to be a part of of the reform of things that are going on? I know you do you do a lot of work. Yeah, um, how did you get involved?
1: So uh, about three or four years ago I was just I you know I work in politics and, and policy and, and I was doing that and met somebody through there who was involved with prison entrepreneurship program and it was interesting because at the same time, um, all my life really two of my oldest my two oldest brothers have been in and out of incarceration. And so we've always had kind of a distance real distant relationship. you know I've spoken to them at length but never very close or very we never got very um, close as brothers but I never knew how to communicate with them. And I had a lot of uncles who had been in and out of prison. And so I was looking for kind of a way to communicate with them and maybe a way to make some reform because I was very interested in criminal justice reform, but I didn't know where to go. And it just so happened that I met someone who introduced me to prison entrepreneurship program at that same time, and I was still very reluctant to even go in. Because I mean, this program, you. Give up your cell phone. Like, they take your cell phone when you go in, they take your keys, they take your wallet, you have nothing, and you spend the entire day in prison with these guys. And so, when they sold me on it, I was like, ah, I don't know about that. That's kind of a little <laughs> crazy, a little crazy. And so, it took a couple months of prodding, and I finally gave up and went in, and I was just hooked from day one. I mean, these guys are so remarkable because they're so willing to change and they're so vulnerable, but in a good way, and no one's taking advantage of that. And they're working with them to make them better and stronger and develop business plans. And I mean, it's a really amazing program. So, when I first went, that day i was hooked and there was just no way that i couldn't come back so i've been coming back ever since
0: Right. Yeah. You know, I spent some times in in the prisons last year, just mm. speaking to some inmates, just to get an understanding. Because one of the things that I hate is to see people develop a political opinion without any experience. Like there are people who've never had, you know, any relatives in prison yep. and yep. and never been to a prison, <clears throat> but they can tell you exactly how exactly. they need to be run. And yep. these people are irredeemable. Or you way know, too many yeah, yeah. <laughs> There's so many people, and I, and I just felt like I wanted to sort of look some people in the eye and sort of get an understanding of you know what happens when you're in prison for a short time, in prison for a long time. What are the actions problems mm-hmm. that these people are facing day in and day out. And a lot of times um, it is that, you know, if, if you get in for something the first time, it's very easy to get on that wheel, to yeah. get to get on the merry-go-round. Right. Um, because let's say you're in prison for three years, right? Um, and that's a long time, but a short time. And you yeah. get out, you've got no job, no connections. You get 50 exactly. bucks and a bus ticket. What are you See going you to do yeah, exactly. but turn back to a life of crime to be able to support yourself? Because now you've got a felony on your record. Right. Who's going? And, and I I think the longer you're in the system, um, the harder it is to pull it back, mm-hmm. right? But right. that that early time can be so important. Right. Um, so the people that you're spending time with in prison, are they from all over? Or are some of these people in prison for life? Well, I mean...
1: So most of them have been in prison for a long time and are nearing release. No one that we work with is going to be remaining in prison for life unless they commit another crime. So right. they're kind of on their way out and we're trying to give them a better pathway forward. So we're helping them develop business plans, but we're also kind of just surrounding them. We provide transition homes so they can go and stay mm-hmm. there instead have gone back directly into that community they came from, give them some time to readjust. Um, we provide them links to jobs, try to help them out so that they can get work and kind of get on their feet. So I think you you made a good point is that when they come out, very often, you know, you you can't rent an apartment because you have, LA. you know, you're blocked from doing that. Sometimes, I mean, and a lot of times they will not even let you rent an Airbnb because of that. Wow. Can't get a job. I mean, you try to work for Uber. You might not get it. Like, there's just really no... Uh, ways for you to move forward very often. So what we try to do is give them a way to create their own opportunity because entrepreneurship, in my opinion, is the best way to kind of get out of that, um, you know, the, the, the lower socioeconomic status that they're stuck in. And so we try to teach them the just kind of rules of business, how they can create a business, what they need to do, the rules they need to follow, how to have a business lunch, exchange business cards, everything that we learn on the outside that they just never had the opportunity to do. And then we kind of put them out there and put them in the transition home and guide them. They get mentors. They get um, people who work with them throughout the process. And we see remarkable results because of this, because you cannot just take somebody and push them outside of prison and with 50 bucks and a bus ticket and tell them to go restart your life. You need to surround them. And if you're gonna take them out of society and remove them from everything they know, you know i know a lot of people don't like to say that government needs to provide that kind of safety net in the end but if we don't, we're not going to have any opportunity to actually reform these people. And luckily, the organization I work with is a, is a uh, nonprofit, so they don't deal with any government funding. But I think the larger issue is that our prisons need to figure out a way to soften the blow of letting these guys back into the real world because it's too much of an adjustment.
0: It is. And, and I think after a long time, people don't know how to adjust. So I've, I've had, right. you know, I have uncles that have been in and out of the system and they would come out and they'd go right back in because after enough time, it starts to feel like home. Mm-hmm. You, don't, you don't even right. know how to be right. a person or function outside. So you're actually more comfortable because you're you're used to the stability of your exactly. of your actual right. prison life yeah. um, You live in Texas Houston. Yes, and yes. Texas is a great state in terms of talking about prison reform mm-hmm. They really lead the charge as well as South Carolina in reducing mm-hmm. recidivism rates They've been able to actually close prisons if I'm correct yeah. Yeah. Um, o- uh, Over the last 10 years or mm-hmm. so because they, they don't have any inmates um, to fill them with and that's interesting uh, because that's a red state right. and it kind of goes against the whole idea of, you know, Texans and Southern people being super harsh on crime and wanting right. people to be in there forever. Right. And you have an interesting story about that. You, you sort of adjusted your opinion um, about, you know, red states. You yeah. started as you, you a Democrat. Is that correct?
1: Well, no, my family was I started as kind of just in. N- just uninterested in politics completely. I had no interest whatsoever. Apolitical,
0: like me, completely how I started. Completely
1: apolitical, yep. but my entire family, I was just kind of inundated with Democrats left and right. And so um grew up in New Jersey before I moved to Texas and started working when I was 15. I was working at a local supermarket called Pathmark, was in the union, kind of all kind of bought into that. No political interests, but just kind of working and thinking that they're protecting my rights and all this kind of stuff. And so my parents, uh, Union, New Jersey Education Association, Association union members. They, you know, did everything that you would expect of union members. I mean, they organized. They, they, I saw it firsthand. I was brought to a lot of these things, so I, you know, saw it. My, um, I call her my grandmother. She's not my biological grandmother, but uh, my nana, she was the vice chair of the Democratic Party in, in our county. I mean, they were, you know, blue through and through, and so when it came time for me to vote for the first time, which was 2008, I kind of had this decision between Obama and McCain, and I was just kind of looking at it, and, you know, in New Jersey, we had closed primaries and, <clears throat> and you have to register as a party when you mm-hmm. get ready to go vote. So never had a discussion about politics with my parents, just kind of watched it from the sidelines. So my dad's excited to take me to vote for the first time. And we go down there and um, they asked me to publicly declare which party I was going to vote for. And I said a Republican and his face was just blank. I mean, he did not say a word to me until we got back home when my mom asked how it went and he told her to ask me. So really interesting day that day. But the reason that I got to that point was because you know, I was working at Pathmark doing minimum wage work during high school. And the conversation on the national level during this presidential election was about taxing the wealthy more, taxing business owners more, because they weren't paying their fair share. And so the first thing I could think of, which was kind of the most simple correlation I can make, was that I'm at the bottom of the rung at this job. I've been here maybe a year and a half. I'm making minimum wage. If they decide to raise taxes on the folks who are employing me, I'm going to be the one that's cut. I'm not going to have money to go buy like Nikes. Right. Like that was, you right. know, that's that's kind of the correlation I made.
0: Common sense. Exactly. You get this thing called common, right, exactly, common sense. Exactly, which is like
1: hard to find nowadays. Right. Um, so, you know, I decided to kind of go with McCain. And, and really, you know, I hate to say it today, but that was all I based my vote on at the time. Mm-hmm. But it did start a path for me to start looking for more and trying to find a deeper connection to conservatism and and try to find why I actually aligned with it so much. So you
0: based your whole vote on Nikes. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> like,
1: that's what it comes down to, right? I, <laughs> yeah. I got them, though. I kept right. that job. Right I kept <laughs>
0: the job. <laughs> like, I got the Nikes.
1: But yeah, I mean, and that's really what it came down to, because I had to make that kind of simple correlation because I was not paying attention to anything else. Mm-hmm. And that was just really where the rubber met the road for me. And so I voted for McCain. And, and ever since then, I've just kind of dug deeper into conservatism and, and tried to figure out where I align. And, and the more I look, that's where it is.
0: Right, exactly. And, and that's an incredible thing to talk about, because I'm um, talking about people just thinking that you can force a minimum wage and that, right. you know, business owners aren't going to do the common sense thing and say, well, I can't afford to pay right. everybody here $15. So I'm just going to get rid of one person. Right. And it's incredible that people don't understand that, that you can't just create this into a la la land. You yeah. can't just pretend that business owners can afford certain things that they can't afford.
1: Right. And the frustrating part is is that the people you often see advocating for the stuff like this are the ones who are going to be most hurt by it, mm-hmm. immediately hurt mm-hmm. by it. And they don't make that correlation and it frustrates me to no end because they are advocating for things that are going to put themselves out of jobs. And you know, if if they're going to raise minimum wage from, you know, twelve dollars to fifteen dollars, well it's not that you're going to all of a sudden make fifteen dollars, you're probably not going to have a job. That's right. what that's going to be. So which what, what is better? Twelve dollars right. or having a or job no or no dollars. Right. Right. And, and 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 so so it's so important. It's so frustrating to see that, to see that argument happen without looking at where the rubber meets the road and who's going to be hurt by
0: this. Right. And and the truth is, is in the, the injustice is being done in our school system because I, I they don't they aren't learning that sorts of that sort of practicality, you know, right. just in terms of thinking, using your brain. Hi, you pretend you're a business owner and these right. are your employees and you have X amount of dollars that you're making. Right. Um, we don't spend time on that. Instead, we spend so much time on social justice. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, and, and you see that even in the prison argument, by yeah, the way, yeah. where people are just like social Social justice. What was the story recently? The Alabama prisons, you know, I don't know
1: if I saw this. Oh, one.
0: It, it might be Mississippi. Okay. It definitely I think it's Mississippi, okay. actually, um, where it's been trending recently um, that they've found that a lot of uh, inmates are dying in prison. Mm. And I think and do not quote me. I think Jay Z has gotten behind this. He has some some charity and they're demanding um, that. Uh, the governor of Mississippi or Alabama, don't quote me here, mm. um, you know, does something to fix this. So mm. it, you look at it, you know, bird's eye view, you go, wow, a lot of inmates are dying in this prison. Like, right. what's going on? Right. But they're not being killed right. by they're being right. killed by other inmates, right. and all right. this other exactly. stuff is going on. Yeah. So they, what do you want them to? Let, just let everybody be right. free. What's the solution? What here? is the solution? Exactly. Just exactly. you know, there's two people in prison. Just let everybody be free. <laughs> right. 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 That's not the solution. That is that will lead to chaos. You right. know, You can't just start saying to people because you guys have murdered each other so much, we're just going to let all of you guys.
1: Right, you know? And I think too often people like to look at policy that way. It, it's feel good policy mm. with a good intent, but the outcome is not good. I mean, mm. you have to look at the root problem and address that. You know, you cannot judge policy based on intent because a lot of times we see on the back end, it is not good. The outcome that, that is produces by, produced by this policy. Right. So yeah, you often see that. And it's really frustrating. I mean, it's great to feel good about things, but if we're actually supposed to be making changes and reforming things, you've got to look at the root causes and you've got to be serious and sober about addressing those things.
0: What do you think are some of the biggest issues facing the prison system right now? Like, what do you think are the things that need to be reformed?
1: I mean, what I like to see, um, so in Texas specifically, one thing that we currently have is, and this is a law that's been tried to change numerous times, and I, I testified in the, in the state legislature on this, is that um, if you are, and it's not exactly in the prison, but it leads to prisons, um, if you are, say, driving with a broken taillight in Texas, you can technically be arrested for that. And so you can be arrested for that, have to go to jail. Say you don't have you didn't have the money to get the taillight fixed, you likely don't have the money to bond yourself out. Mm. So you're gonna lose your job probably, might not be able to make a car payment, you're gonna lose the car with the broken taillight. Might lose your your apartment, and it's going to kind of trickle down. And I don't think, and I think that's that's in kind of our court system where there needs to be more discretion, but also less discretion for officers to arrest for things like that. Those, right. those misdemeanors that don't really amount to much. Um, and I think just when it comes to you know there are other like kind of minor issues like Harris County. There was this conversation, which is the county Houston is in. It's the third largest county in the country, first largest in Texas. There was a conversation about reducing commissary costs for for prisoners because they are making, the, the county was making much more money than it actually cost to give these items to the prisoners, to to supply the in-prison in, in prison store with the items. So they were making a lot of money from it and overcharging on these prisoners. So they are talking about reducing commissary costs. And I think it's important because you know, you want to have basic stuff in prison. I think things like that are quite important. Same thing with cost for calls. I think it makes it very difficult to communicate with your loved ones when the calls are too expensive and you can't do so. And right. I think it goes to our original point that when you are, the more that we separate folks from their families and from their original support systems, if they have good support systems, the more they get caught up into this other stuff while they're in there. And so to try to keep that connected, I think that's helpful. But I mean, there are just so many issues. I think, and, and I agree, you know, what I think is that, um, Obviously, the president has done a lot of work when it comes to reforming our entire system. And I've been super excited about seeing some more stuff come out about that. Um, the Alice Johnson thing has, has been so heartwarming for me. I saw her the other day at Texas Public Policy Foundation. I was doing a speech and she kind of came and sat in. And to kind of see the embodiment of actual policy change, it's like remarkable. Mm-hmm. I mean, it is such an amazing experience to see someone whose life has been saved by something that happened in D.C. And you don't see that every day. So, right, and
0: to see her just give back and want right, to be a right. part of it and say, without How hesitation, can I? without right.
1: hesitation. Yeah.
0: Right. And and but she and she's still tethered to reality. I mean, and I think it's so important because there can be extremes on both sides, where people, mm-hmm. you know, on, I think far left, it's release everybody, right. nobody should ever be in prison, and it's like, no, uh, check some of these stories. Some of them, some sure. people should be in <laughs> yeah. prison, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, and then you have people sometimes that can be so far right that they're just like, if you make a broken tail out you're in prison, you're irredeemable. Right. You know, right. throw right. the key and lock it away. Right. And I think a, a lot of the good stuff sort of takes place in the middle, mm-hmm. the more moderate perspective. And yeah. and I always say to people that I cannot, I'm so tethered to the reality of growing up with uncles that served time in prison, mm-hmm. and i will never believe that you know that these people are just irredeemable there's a lot of things that we can do to stop people um you know from just leading that life of crime and going back and forth um so what does your family think about what you do now
1: So, you know, after, how long has it been? After about 10 years of trying to convince me to convert, (laughs) they've kind of given up a little bit, but like it's a tinge of it is still there every now and then. Mm. Um, What's interesting is I'm really appreciative of my parents because they fought me along the way every single step of the way. So it's made me a better defender of my values and Mm. my arguments because it's just always been tested. Um, And my mom's going to hate that I tell this story, but when I first voted, she was quite unhappy. So then when the second time came around, she, uh, and I was voting for, is obama romney she tried to convince me to vote for obama by showing me this this picture that she had it was like a painted portrait that i don't know where she got from of nelson mandela barack obama and like malcolm x and i was like okay those three like, there's a weird combination of people and then she's like what if i die today and you look at this picture and tell me that you can you can go on knowing that you didn't vote for him <laughs> and I'm like that is a very like, emotional plea. Oh and I didn't and so we got over that luckily but you know I what I what I appreciate is that while they disagree with me on politics they appreciate the work that I'm doing because they know it's genuine. They know mm-hmm. it's coming from a good place, and they know I'm I'm trying hard to actually do good stuff for people. And so I think they appreciate that enough. And so we'll never agree on politics, probably, but um, at least they've come to just accept it. <laughs>
0: well, in your mother's defense, Mitt Romney's pretty much a Democrat. Yeah, well, yes, right. this is true. This is true. She was right. Was <laughs> right. Like a, yes, like, yeah. <laughs> she, she was, was totally right. Right. Like, you're choosing. Choos- maybe I should have just thing. Thing. for Obama. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Well, that's super incredible. Um. So you said you You also mentioned that your brothers have serve some time yeah yeah. Uh, do do they recognize the work that you do do you have a good relationship with them
1: yeah, so we've gotten a better relationship as time has gone on that I've been doing this work. So it's really great. I mean, politically, no, they don't agree with the work that I do. But when it comes to kind of the volunteerism and the criminal justice reform work, they wholeheartedly agree with that. And so it's nice to see that. I think I do think that they feel that I'm kind of advocating for them in, in a sense. Right. And I feel that way, too, um, now that we've kind of been able to break down those barriers and have that relationship. Right. So they, they, they've come to accept it. But no one in my family has accepted my political beliefs yet. That's They're interesting, just kind of though,
0: because— it, in terms of what you're saying, you know, and realizing that it's sort of like the political beliefs and and you know the the conservative perspective that sort of led you down this line of work, mm-hmm. you would think that your your brothers who have spent time in prison would be the first one to then maybe be interested in why it is that you went down that route.
1: Right, I know. And it's interesting because you can tie it into so many different things. Like I look at folks in cities who, you know, vote the same way or support the same policies that harm them and they don't care. Like they look at me as I'm the enemy when I come in and try to say, hey, free market solutions to urban issues. Right. You know, so it's I think it's the same thing. I think there's just kind of this this ingrained mentality a lot of times when it comes to politics and it's just this, this kind of my team, your team kind of thing where people just don't want to budge.
0: Right, is urban reform considered a, chari- a charity?
1: So we are a C4. So we are a political advocacy group. We're a mm-hmm. nonprofit political advocacy group. And so, you know, we just try to beat the ha- uh, you know beat the drum on these issues in cities and try to get people more engaged with them and let them know that while you might not like me and my politics, the folks that you're supporting and the policies that you're supporting are making it harder for life in cities. Right. So that's what we try to do.
0: And that's and, – I mean, and that is really sort of the way to really say – Um, what I feel so close to my heart is that I I wonder sometimes, and you know, me obviously, you know, my political conversion um, from liberal to conservative is just realizing that on the one hand, you have people, the issues are never gonna get fixed, Mm -hmm. you know, because they've sort of developed this system where they realize they can constantly stump on the issues, they can fundraise on the issues, there's no incentive, you know, for for them to wanna see these issues go away um, when they're gaining power and they're gaining influence and they're gaining money off of these issues. And on the conservative perspective, I mean, for me, I have just realized that these are people that are actually trying to address the issues, take away all the emotionality and see how you can actually make things better. And as, you know, as a black person, speaking to a black person, it it can be the most frustrating experience (laughs) being a black conservative and and being the one that you feel like is actually fixing the issues and yet still having to deal with the brunt of people questioning whether or not you're black, right? right? Uh, (laughs) How could you be black? You want to fix it, right? Right. How could you possibly, oh, black people, we just be moaning about it. Nobody should actually want to fix it. Exactly. Nobody
1: should step up and do anything. And it's like, well, somebody has to. What are we going to do just complain and complain and complain because <laughs> right. we've done that for years and nothing's changed.
0: People and people are comfortable with that.
1: Yes, I think they are comfortable with it. And again, I think it goes to a point you made where a lot of these, whether it's people or whether it's entities, they are, you know, kind of, they exist to exist. They try. They say they're addressing an issue, but really they're just doing it to fundraise. A, a friend of mine always talks about homeless charities and how their goal should be to go out of business. Like they shouldn't be fundraising to build a bigger building. Right. They should be fundraising to go out of business. And I think you see a lot of these kind of, I don't shysters, if you will, who are just fundraising and trying to keep themselves going because they know that there's a problem here that they can exploit. Like
0: the NAACP. Uh,
1: yes, well, yeah. Why would they want race <laughs> right. issues to
0: go away right. Right. if right. they can make millions and millions of dollars right. if the race they, over here, over here, of course, they don't want to fix the issues. Exactly, you know? exactly.
1: You know, there's <clears throat> there are a lot of, like, housing groups that talk about affordable housing and things that could be done to help you know, make housing more affordable, but they never seem to talk about how, you know, people who are renting pay property taxes too, right? Property taxes are built into rental rates because a landlord isn't eating the cost of their property tax. They're passing it on to renters. But why don't they tell renters that? Why don't they tell renters that they have a stake in the system and they should be vocal about this and they should be more, Mm -hmm. you know, angry and and get more involved? I mean, there are a lot of groups who aren't given full information because if they did, they might then take up arms and try to do something themselves. They might be empowered, right? Exactly. And that's why
0: I say it all comes down to education. And yes. you, you have to spend the time to educate yourself. You have to be willing to speak to people that disagree with you, but you also have to be willing to speak to people that have a real um, experience in, right. in the topic that you're trying to get a better sense of and a better understanding of. Right, um, right. So, I mean, I applaud you on everything that you're doing. <laughs> Thank uh, you. Is there any, anything that you want to want to mention that I haven't touched on that urban reform does aside from working on the prisons?
1: I mean, really, that's, that's kind of the brunt of what we do. So urban reform, the goal here is to look at urban issues and to find, solutions rooted in the free market that can solve them. So whether, I mean, we're we're getting like hyper-local and talking about issues like illegal dumping in inner inner city communities or, you know, blight in inner city communities. We talk about these issues and the problem, why these problems exist and how government is... More often than not, the always making it worse. The problem exists. Right. You know, to give one quick example, um, in in Third Ward, it's a it's a community in Houston. They have a ton of vacant lots around Third Ward, and the problem with these vacant lots is that they they just kind of they're magnets for illicit activity. People come in. They whether it's drugs, whether it's prostitution, whatever the case may be. Kids can't use them. It's dangerous. It makes neighborhoods more dangerous. And the reason that that exists, even though community members want to do things with them like make, you know, community parks and do just different things. The reason it exists is because mostly lots are owned by government and Mm. the government is reluctant or completely refusing to allow these citizens to do anything with that property. So we see a lot of these issues and they're driven by government. So the purpose of urban reform is just to highlight that and to let people know that. Whether you're a donor, whether you are an activist, whether you're just a person who lives in an apartment and, you know, goes to work every day and doesn't think about politics, you have a voice and you need to use that and you need to be engaged because whether you're engaged or not things are going to happen, and you might as well put your voice into it and try to try to nudge it a little bit so that it helps in your direction rather than it goes in the other direction.
0: yeah, it's funny because um, I was obviously formerly apolitical, you were formerly apolitical, and yeah. now when I meet people and they say like "Oh I don't do politics," and my first thing I say to them is every single thing in your life yep. is dictated by politics, yep. right so what you're telling me is that you just don't care to get engaged and, and you are Happy to let people make the decisions for you, yeah. Because your life is big. Be- you do do politics. You right. do politics every, every single, single day.
1: day. Every decision you make. Everything I mean, even if it's do, driving down the road, right? You, know, you do you're politics. Yeah, right. Yeah. And
0: and I think that's kind of the most important thing. And and I think uh, especially for Black Americans, so many people consider themselves apolitical because you, we're we have so many other issues, and we don't realize that the source of so many of the issues, like you said, is government, right. Right? right? And so we we don't think that voting matters, or don't think that you know paying attention to political debates matters, or paying attention to even who who you're. Your local local congressman are matters, it all matters everything yes. that you do i cannot mm-hmm. stress enough to the world is dictated by politics yes. um so we wrap every episode which i know you watch my show you are <laughs> obviously you watch my show by <laughs> allowing you to leave a a 2 minute face message to the world um you know just your call to action if every person if every person could hear that message and, and do something today what would that be and this is the camera you're going to look Correct. into <laughs> are you ready
1: i'm ready On with your my mar- raspy voice yes yeah with, it's good <laughs> raspy's good
0: On your mark, get set, world, I give you Charles Blaine.
1: Hey, guys. So thanks for tuning in. So we talked a lot about local issues today. And what we said numerous times here were that people deal in politics every single day of their lives, whether they want to or not. So because of that, that's more of a reason that you should be engaged in the process. We focus at Urban Reform heavily on the local level because I truly feel that's where impact can be made much easier and much quicker. The things that your city council passes on a weekly basis, you're gonna feel the following week. That might not happen with your state legislature or with Congress. the, the, your city council members are much easier to get in touch with than your congressmen and your state legislatures as, l- legislators as well. So I implore you to get involved. There are so many issues in our cities that free market idealists need to be addressing and that we have the solutions to, and I think it's a shame if we don't take the opportunity to try to fight for people who need it the most. 12 million families in this country pay more than 50% of their income on rent. As you heard us mentioned before, a lot of that is driven by property taxes, which are driven by local government. That is enough of a reason right there to get involved. I think we have so much opportunity to do change in our cities, and if we don't start now, the problem's only gonna get worse and it's gonna be harder to fix. So I ask you guys to get involved. Call your local city council member, whether you live in a city, a town, uh, unincorporated areas of your county. There are ways for you to get involved. Look for it. Say something. Do something. Just be a little bit involved because even the slightest bit of effort will change a ton. That thank was you.
0: perfect. Thank what you. was the timing? Only 30 seconds left. Oh, you nailed that. Oh, oh,
1: awesome. Thanks, Chuck. Thank you. <laughs> well,
0: That's a thank wrap. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you guys for watching the latest episode of The Candace Owens Show. I hope you guys enjoyed the conversation as much as I did. As many of you guys already know, PragerU is a 501c3 nonprofit organization, which means we need your help to keep all of our content free to the public. Please consider making a tax-deductible donation today. I would really appreciate your support.